Good morning. We'll be reading in two places of the scriptures. We'll continue on with Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, and then we'll be going on over into the New Testament to the book of John, chapter 14. So beginning with Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate, their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Then Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Hey, good morning, church. Well, we are, as you may have guessed, in a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And throughout the series, early in the series, Solomon identified himself as the teacher. And the teacher has not been afraid to make us uncomfortable, has he? He's constantly pushed us out of our comfort zone. This is certainly going to be the case today. We're going to talk about something today that in our culture we rarely talk about, if ever. And in, in our time together, here's what the teacher is going to argue. He's going to argue that facing death apart from God, remember we said that life under the sun is code for living in this world as if this world is all there is. So, try, uh, he said, so he's just going to say, look, uh, trying to face death apart from God is empty, it's futile, it's meaningless. And he's going to talk today about death as something that's universal, that's inevitable, and that's equitable. And now Aristotle said that death is the thing that's to be most feared because it represents the end of life. Jean Paul Sartre asserted that death removes all meaning from life and represents actually the worst moment in anyone's life. Woody Allen was a little less less, uh, negative, but he said, you know, it's not that I'm afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens, you know? Uh, Even some Christians, people that should face death with courage, even Christians can be a little bit ambivalent about uh, death, and it's kind of reflected in some of the jokes that we tell about it so there's an an old joke i'll i'll give i'll tell you now dave and mike both in their 90s both strong christians both played professional baseball together well after they retired they remained close friends and one day though dave suddenly fell deathly ill mike visited dave on his deathbed after they had talked a little while it became obvious that dave only had a few more minutes to live so mike said listen old friend I mean, after you die, I need you to get a message back to me. I need to know if there's baseball in heaven. And with his dying breath, Dave whispers, if God allows it, you know, I'll do my best to get you an answer. Well, a few days after Dave had died, Mike is sleeping. When he suddenly wakes up, he hears Dave's voice. And Dave says, Mike, I've got good news and 
bad news. The good news is, yes, there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're scheduled to pitch the top half of tomorrow's doubleheader, <laughs> right? My, my personal very own experience with death was the loss of my mom when I was in the seventh grade. She'd been in the hospital for months, but she just wasn't getting any better. And I'll never forget this. On a Tuesday, my dad came to pick me up. I come from a bowling family. I actually worked at the bowling alley after uh, school. And he came in really early, about 4 o'clock. I'd only been at work about an hour uh, to pick me up. And on the way home in the car, my dad told me about my mom. And it was the first and the only time in my dad's entire life that I saw him cry. Only time. My mother's death impacted not just the trajectory of my life, but the tra trajectory of my entire family and childhood. Uh, for example, one of the outcroppings of that was my dad remarried when I was going into high school. That meant a new home, new friends, uh, and even new brothers and sisters and trying to learn how to live with them. And so what the teacher is going to do today is he's just going to lament that everything we do under the sun or apart from God is made absolutely meaningless, pointless by death. He's going to argue that it erases all of our accomplishments, all of our memories. He's going to say that regardless of what we do or don't do, death is the great equalizer. So let's check it out. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 1 and 2. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all. Since the same event, he's talking about death, happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. In other words, both die. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So essentially, Solomon lays out seven pairs here. And he's essentially saying, uh, death, in other words, whether you live wisely or foolishly, death eradicates all of that. In other words, what good does it do me if I'm smart, if I'm going to die just like the fool? Now, the reality is, and all of us know this, in our culture, we want to ignore death. We want to stay so busy, we want to distract ourselves with so many other things that we just don't have to think about it. For example, like when somebody dies, we don't buy uh, death insurance, do we? What do we call it? Yeah, that way I don't have to think about uh, my death, right? I'm just going to call it life insurance. When I was growing up, there was a cereal, and it was called Life Cereal. And uh, in, in the commercials, the brothers weren't too sure about the cereal, so they say, well, hey, let's get Mikey to try it. Mikey will eat. He'll do anything, right? Now, I want you to imagine, would they ever come out with a cereal called death? No, right? Could you imagine? Hey, let's have a, a bowl of death before we go to school this morning. Nobody's going to do that, right? Because we don't like to think about it. Well, here's one of the arguments that Solomon is going to make. He's going to say, what if instead of avoiding our death, 
we were to embrace our death because if we can learn how to do that then maybe in other words if we can embrace our death tomorrow maybe we could learn how to truly live today in fact the rest of scripture makes this same argument i'll just give you one this is actually solomon's father that wrote these words here's what he said in psalm 90 Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So what he's saying is, knowing that I only get so many days should cause me to better enjoy every single day that God gives me. In other words, when you number your days, you don't take your days for granted. So I want to just take a couple minutes and just talk to us about uh, how we can better embrace, in other words, how we can learn to number our days, how we can open ourselves up to death. Number one, just be willing to have vulnerable conversations about it. You know, one of the scriptures I love says, mourn with those who mourn. Let me just tell you this, if you are not comfortable with your own death you will never feel comfortable coming alongside your friends and family members who've lost someone to death you just won't be able to do it so learning even to mourn with those who mourn and come alongside them because here's the reality not only does death knock on every door but death touches every home right i mean none of us are immune and being vulnerable about my own death and willing to acknowledge it will better help me come alongside other people as they bump up against death as well. Number two, embrace just allowing life and the deaths of others to remind you about your own death. You know, last week Solomon said there's two kinds of people that go to a funeral. He said the fool sits in a funeral and says, I can't wait to get out of here and go drink with my friends tonight. But he says the wise person sits in a funeral and reflects and asks questions like, I wonder what people will say about me after I'm gone. I wonder what people will be saying about me when it's my turn to lay in that casket. He's saying that's that differentiates, right, the wise from the foolish. And then thirdly, live your life backward. You go, well, what does that even mean? Here's what it means. Every one of us should say, you know, what do I want people to say about me when I'm gone? And then you live that way today. So in other words, you use your death and you, uh, you use that to help you live today and and hopefully we're not just asking what do i want people to say about me when i die but what do i want my heavenly father what do i want god to say about me after i die and then live that way live that way today live the life that will um you know leave the kind of eulogy that you'd want to leave well so one of the people that one of the families that i've had uh, to walk uh, through this, uh, through death with, is uh, Dana Nancy Blackford. Dana Nancy Blackford are dear friends of mine. They have been for a long time. In fact, Dan was an original elder on the first elder board 30 years ago at SCC that actually hired me. Dan and I, our first meal together was at Arby's uh, here in town. And uh, what was amazing about that meal and a little um, embarrassing for me was we go, we order, I pull out my wallet, 
I don't have it. So I have to say to Dan, hey, Dan, you're going to have to buy my lunch. And he did. He was gracious enough, and he was kind enough to do that. But uh, several years ago, come on up here, you guys. Several years ago, uh, Dan and Nancy lost their 14-year-old son, Isaac. And so they're here to talk um, a little bit about that and how they kind of made it through and how that even still affects them today. So would you guys show them some love? They're doing a hard thing today. So we were asked to share how having faith in Jesus made a difference when we lost our 14-year-old son almost 12 years ago. Isaac died of an internal infection that lasted a total of 40 hours. We weren't prepared for his death. No one is prepared for death. Death is not a natural part of life. God didn't create us to die. Death came into the world as a result of sin. That is why it feels so devastating, so unnatural, so foreign, and so heartbreaking. In the days, weeks, and months after Isaac died, I didn't really feel God's comfort, and I still don't feel comforted if comfort means the lessening of pain. God did assure me before we learned that attempts to resuscitate him had failed, that Isaac would be all right. But at the time, I didn't translate that into never seeing, never hearing, or never touching him again. Grief for me was sudden and overwhelming. To this day, my life is split into two parts, the time when Isaac was here and the time after he died. For a long while, I couldn't gather my thoughts enough to make grocery lists. I couldn't and didn't answer the phone every time it rang. I let others host holiday celebrations because those days were especially painful for me. I, concentrate on just, I concentrated on just breathing most days and doing the next thing in front of me. I had three girls and a husband who had also experienced a terrible loss, and they couldn't lose me too. I remember pulling away from this building one day and sobbing as I turned onto 44 telling God, I knew I should be happy that Isaac was with him, but this life was all that I knew. I couldn't comprehend eternity. I felt him telling me, I know, that's why I'm collecting all your tears in my bottle. I had a deep sense of his presence during those times of despair. He was so near that I felt I could physically reach out and touch him. As time went on, I knew without a doubt that this great loss was not supposed to be the end of me or the end of our family. God had a full, joy-filled life ahead of us. It was okay to pull back and be still for a while. But loss, pain, and heartbreak were not going to be the definition of who we were or who I was. Today, no member of my family will tell you they are afraid of death. I miss Isaac, and living here will always be painful. But living in God's hope and presence has been priceless. There is an eternity waiting for us, but he also wants us to live full lives while we are here, lives full of purpose, lives full of contentment, and lives full of joy. So being a man, men and women come at this from different angles. Um, if you've ever heard the illustration about a man's brain and how he has boxes up on a shelf and he'll pull a box down to think about something or talk about something, that's, that's who I am. And that's uh, how I came at this whole episode of death. Um, 
when Isaac died that box came off the shelf. I didn't take it off the shelf, but it came off the shelf and was sitting in front of me with the lid off and all that was inside that box was just darkness. I remember uh, the first night or two when we got home and it was time for bed, we couldn't turn the lights off because the darkness was too dark. Uh, we just needed a little bit of light to shed on our, on our situation. But uh, as time passed, of course, that darkness fades because God's light wants to shine in on our, our lives, no matter what our situation is. And eventually I was able to put the lid back on that box, put that box back up on the shelf, and then bring that box down when I wanted to and open it up. And now it has good memories in it and not just a lot of darkness. So um, I'm grateful for, for what God has done through the situation. I wouldn't have chosen to walk through it. But because of our eternal hope that we have in Christ, um, and I do want to mention the fact that during the funeral, um, Brad made the point of because we're Christians and we know what Christ has promised us, uh, death is never a goodbye. It's just a see you later. So I was appreciative of when that was offered up on our behalf. And as it stands right now, we are very good, but it's only because of God that we are good. Yeah, I want to. Hey, I want to pray for Dan and Nancy. Could could we do that together? Hey, God, just thank you for Dan, for Nancy, for their willingness to stand up today and, you know, do a hard thing. And uh, I pray that you would use them. I pray that you would continue to use their story. I pray that you'd continue to use Isaac's life uh, in ways that would continue to build your kingdom. I pray that uh, for those of us who, you know, get uncomfortable in conversations like this, that you would help us be more willing to enter in, you know, and uh, celebrate good memories as well as painful ones. And so uh, just thank you again, God, use this, use Dan and Nancy, uh, share your joy with them. God, I just pray you'd back a load of joy and peace and comfort up and that you just dump the whole load on them. You give them all the joy, um, all the help, all the hope they can stand. And so, God, thank you for their yes today. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. One more time, could you guys show Dan and Nancy some love? Thank you. So one of the things Solomon has said in the previous verse is he kind of laments that dead people, you know, have no feelings. In other words, he says, hey, all their love, all their fear, all their hate, that's going to be forgotten. They take that to the grave with them. Now, one thing I want to be clear about, Solomon is commenting on the grave. He's not commenting on an afterlife. He's commenting on the fact that we come from dust and we come back to dust. And that's the element that he's talking about. And I'll make that clear to you here in a little bit. And then he, he kind of laments that they're cut off from all the festivities of life. And then he goes on to tell us, uh, as a result, not how uh, we should die, but how we should live. Look what he says in verses 7 and 8. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry hot heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Here's what he's literally saying. He's saying, look, uh, life is short, so 
enjoy good meals, you know, drink with friends, laugh, you know, uh, put on garments of praise because God's already approved what you do. I'll talk about that phrase in just a minute. This is probably just another reminder to uh, receive life as a gift from God. Remember we said that one of Solomon's messages to us is life isn't something that we're supposed that we gain from, it's a gift from God. And when we see our life as a gift from God, we are more grateful to God on a day-to-day basis. And it may also be a way, when he says that God has already approved what you do, it may also be a way of saying that life is not about any meaning that you and I can find or create in our lives, but that God is the one who assigns meaning for life. And so we have to press into him. He he gets to decide what's meaningful, not you and I. And we need to do the things that he calls meaningful and, and quit trying to just invent our own forms of meaning. Uh, and then look at a at verse 8. He says, let your garments always be white. Now, when people in the Old Testament mourned, they would wear something called sackcloth and ashes. That sounds super foreign to us, but, but I think what Solomon is saying here is, look, yeah, just as you dress in bad times and times of mourning, I want you to dress festively. I want you to put on garments of praise and enjoy the life that God has given you. Live your life fully, allowing God and other people to see your joy. And then he adds, let not oil be lacking uh, on your head. Now, uh, oil, uh, interestingly enough, uh, represents a lot of different things in the Old Testament. It represents abundance. It represents wealth. It represents health. It represents energy. Uh, it is a. It represents what is vital to living uh, the, a life of shalom or a whole life, and it can likewise represent spiritual abundance. In other words, it's only possible through what God gives and what he does. And then look at verses 9 and 10. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil and at which you you toil under the sun. And then he kind of summarizes whatever your hand finds to do Do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. Now, Sheol, again, is the grave. He's not making any comment about heaven or hell. He's just lamenting the fact that we come from dust and to dust our bodies return, right, to Sheol in which you are going. Now, I want you to notice first that he says, enjoy your wife. He does not say, well, put up with your bride. Put up with your husband. Just endure your marriage. No, he says, look, I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy your wife because you won't always have her. Enjoy your work because you won't always have it. Enjoy your thoughts because you won't always have them. The grave is going to take 
all of those things from you. So whatever you do, put your whole being into it. Don't do life on cruise control. Live vibrantly. Live colorfully. Live well. Now, here's something you would miss if we didn't talk about this. I want you to notice that all the imagery in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, the teacher uses the imagery of a wedding. A wedding. Look at this. He say, uh, so, for example, there is food, there is wine, there is drink, there are white garments, there's oil, there's a wife, and there's a husband. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus often used the imagery of a wedding or a wedding banquet to refer to the new life that you and I, those of us who are followers of Jesus, will one day have in the next life. And let me build that case for you. So earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, the teacher had confronted the same problem. So he talked about death in two places, in Ecclesiastes 3 and Ecclesiastes 9. And he noted that at the end of the day, he, he made a statement. He says, you know, nobody really knows what happens to a man or woman after they die. So here's what he said. All go to one place. All are from dust. So that's what he's referencing. All are from dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. In other words, he goes, nobody can know that, right? All go to one place. And again, not talking about an afterlife, just the grave. So his question, though, is this. What happens to a man or a woman when they die. I mean, does he go up? Does he go down? Well, nobody can really say. And why? Well, because nobody's ever died and come and been resurrected to tell us what life is like after the grave. Now, here's one of the things I love. Oftentimes, the Old Testament will ask the question, and then the New Testament will give us the answer. And... Uh, so in the next few minutes that remain, I want to answer Solomon's question. What happens to a man when he dies? Does he go up? Does he go down? And we're going to answer his questions by going directly to the words of Jesus. This is his promise, not only to uh, them, but to us as well. In other words, what Solomon ached for, Jesus provided the question that Solomon asked, Jesus answered, and here's how he answered it. And by the way, here's the context for the words we're about to read together. Jesus has told his disciples he's leaving. He's probably told them that he's going to die, and that's why he begins by saying this. So they're having the same conversation that we're having in that room, in this room. They're having in that room. And here's what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's home or in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there and prepare a place for you? And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, 
you may also be. Now, what's so incredible to me about these verses is this is a promise that a bride or a groom would have made to a bride. In other words, in Jewish tradition, uh, a groom would marry the bride and then he would go to his father's home and he would prepare a place for his new wife. And so Jesus is intentionally, again, using the imagery of, of a wedding. And by promising to do the same thing for us, Jesus moves. This is so important. Listen, Jesus is moving from talking about death as just something you talk about at a funeral to something you should even celebrate in the same way that you celebrate a wedding, a homecoming. You know, from his perspective, from the perspective of Jesus, our trip to the cemetery should be filled with just as much excitement and hope as when you walk down an aisle. Listen, one of the greatest privileges of my life was be, having the opportunity to marry my middle son, Connor, and his wife, Lindsay. It's one of the greatest celebrative days of my life. One day soon, I hope, I, let me rephrase that. One day way down the road, I hope I have the privilege of marrying my daughter, you know, to somebody. Those, I mean, weddings are just, they're just filled with hope and expectation. New name, new life, right? All that comes out of a wedding. Uh, it's a new area. Well, Jesus would say to those who follow him, it isn't just weddings that are celebrative and hopeful, so are funerals. See, both funerals and weddings celebrate a new era, a new name, a new hope, and new life, right? At both a wedding and a funeral, the groom walks away with the bride on his arm. And Jesus is our coming groom. He said, look, I will walk you down the aisle. I will come and get you. And this means he meets us at the altar of death. And what else this means is that your final glimpse of life will trigger your first glimpse of him. But some of us maybe here, maybe you're a little skeptical. You go, well, how do I know that Jesus could keep that promise well i'll tell you this if jesus tomb is empty then his promises are not if jesus tomb is empty then his promises are not see solomon asked the question how can anyone know right i mean the only way someone could know is if they'd experienced death and then beat it the only way to know is if you surrendered to death and then conquered it. The only way you could know is if you embraced death so that you could finally eliminate it. And that, my friends, is our Jesus. And because of him, here's the reality. Aristotle was wrong. Death is not to be feared. Sartre was mistaken. Your last moment is not your worst moment. And even though both of those men sound a lot like Solomon as he laments life under the sun, Solomon could have never envisioned a Savior that would come and die and pay the penalty for both sin and death. 
fact, this is so powerful. You know what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus? It says that he says that Jesus has actually set us free from the fear of death. Why? Well, because he beat it. He conquered it. See, that's why. And this brings me to the fourth and final way to learn how to embrace death. And it's this. You got to follow the Savior who conquered death. Ring dry your time here on earth with him. Because you have nothing to fear uh, when you're walking with him. You live closely tethered and closely tied to him. And you will die free from the fear of death. It just comes from walking with him. Now, here's what we're going to do. I, what I want to do is I want to show you a video. It's a video called Home. And this, this uh, I've forgotten the artist's name, but he's actually singing about death as a homecoming. And so I want you to watch your screen, and then we're going to come back up, and we're going to celebrate communion together. So check out your screen.
just makes the words of Jesus so powerful, doesn't it? Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled by death. I go to prepare a home for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, and one of those rooms has your name on it. But in order to receive that promise, we have to follow the one who made that promise. So will you? You know, one of the ways that we celebrate our Jesus here at SCC is we, we take communion together. And uh, we celebrate his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. And so we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to do that together today. And so let me just walk you through that. So you're going to walk up this aisle. You can take from either the front or the back. We also have tables back there. And then if you want to come up to the altar with your family or on your own um, and receive communion here, you're welcome to do that. Or if you want to go back and go to your seat. But here's what I want you to do. As you receive the elements, the bread and the cup, I want you to hold on to them. When you get to the altar, don't take them. When you get back to your seat, don't take them. Wait for me. I'm going to come back up and we're going to we're going to celebrate communion together. You know, we say every time that we do this that there's power in together. There's joy in together. And when we remember together, Jesus says, you don't remember alone. I show up. I'm part of the celebration. When you remember me, you're remembering that I'm going to come back for you one day and fulfill that promise to make a home with my heavenly Father in you. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to uh, come and receive the elements together. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you experienced death, you surrendered to death, that you might conquer death. We thank you that we have the privilege of celebrating and remembering that together today. God, would you meet us here as we remember? We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so now come and receive. The altar is open.
Jesus is facing his own death. He looks at those that are following him and he says these incredible words. He says, from what I, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Jesus together. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we are most grateful for your death, your burial, your resurrection, for the forgiveness of sin and for the possibility of new life. So help us live well today in light of the fact that one day each of us will go home. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.